thanks for joining us for the Unexpected Jesus series as we walk through the book of Mark at Doxa Church. Doxa Church exists to equip people to live for Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. For more information, go to doxa-church.com. And today what I want to talk about is the, the, the approach that we uh, engage in as we approach God for help, as we come to Him for our needs to be met by him. And so we're going to start in verse 24. Now, as we uh, kick this off and we begin to read, I want to remind you that Mark is writing uh, based on the eyewitness testimony experience of Peter, who's with Jesus all these years, uh, and he's writing to the people, the church of God, Jesus' people in Rome. And so, in particular, he's addressing a Gentile population. And that, the reason why that's so important for this text is because Jesus is going to move from primarily a Jewish population in Galilee to a Gentile region where the next three stories are going to be all about his interaction with Gentiles. And, and that's important for a variety of reasons. One, uh, it's important to understand God's overall plan in his reaching the nations through his people. Israel. But second, it also helps Rome as listeners realize that they weren't an afterthought in the plan of God, but they were part of God's plan all along. That it would go to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, uh, and God intends to reach all the nations, not just a select group of people. So, so that's, that's important to keep in mind as we move forward. Another thing that's important as I begin to read is you're going to see a paradox here. In the previous passage, you have Jewish religious males who really hold to the law as the means by which we find ourselves acceptable before God, the observance of the law, and only through the law of God can someone actually come to God. And you're now going to hear a story about a woman, Gentile, pagan, who doesn't have the law, is not religious of any, in any sort whatsoever, and yet in some ways she gets Jesus better than the religious leaders do, in fact, almost every way. And so we see a paradox being uh, put up here that I, I want to just note because the reality that I'm more and more convinced of is that there are many, many people who have spent their entire life in the church and don't know Jesus still. And I'm, I'm sobered by that. In fact, when I go to speak to leadership around the country now, one of the things I'll say is, you guys are assuming the people in your church actually know Jesus, but have you ever asked them if they know Jesus? Have you ever sat down and talked to them about their passion for Jesus, their love for Jesus, their, their desire to pursue following Jesus? And oftentimes, and I would say this to all of us, oftentimes we spend our entire life in the church knowing everything about him, but we still don't know him. And these religious leaders should have been the ones who knew him more than anyone else because they understood the scriptures and the prophecies that spoke of Jesus, and then he comes and they missed him. And that's why we titled this series The, the, the Unexpected Jesus Missing the Messiah because it's very possible that we could still miss him even though we think we know him. And so this is a story of a woman who seems to get him better than everyone else, and then a man who in like kind is in, is in desperate need. And what you're going to find as we begin to read this text is that in order to really approach God, you must become desperate. And desperation leads to humility, and humility leads to a bold proclamation of your need for God. So we approach God boldly with desperate humility, and we're going to start with that first one. We, we, we approach him in desperation. Uh, there's a desperate approach that you're going to see in this woman's life. So let's look at verse 24 to 27 or 26 together. From there he arose and he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, which just so you are aware, that's modern day uh, Lebanon, um, Tyre is. So that's where he's going. Uh, it was also known as Phoenicia. Um, he's going into a, a region, this region Tyre in particular, was known as very antagonistic against God's people. Some of you might recall a woman by the name of Jezebel. If you know your Old Testament stories uh, during Elijah's day, which remember Mark is constantly kind of putting Jesus in a sense next to Elijah. Some people are wondering if this is Elijah come back from the dead. First it was John, now maybe, maybe Jesus is the Elijah come back. Uh, so there's a, a parallel that you might be thinking if you're reading with that in your mind, which they were thinking as they were following Jesus, wondering, is this Elijah? And, uh, and that's important because Elijah was ministering in a particular region, w which is now the region we're going we're gonna to look at in the text, where another Syrophoenician woman we're going to find out about in a moment 
was also in desperate need. But there was this woman named Jezebel who really almost subverted the entire northern kingdom of Israel with her pagan prof- prophets and practices. Like she was, she was an evil woman. In fact, I've, I've interacted with some of you who are like, I think that woman has a spirit of Jezebel in her, right? Like that, that, some of you have heard that before. You're like, what are they talking about? What they mean is somebody who's dead set against God and God's people, that there's just this kind of evil intent. And so when Jesus is going into Tyre, they're very aware this is the place where the pagans who opposed Jews, especially Jezebel, was, and the kind of work that was done against us is really bad. So this is not a good thing in the minds of a Jewish person for Jesus to be going to Tyre. But the thing I love about Jesus is Jesus loves to go where the need is the greatest. In fact, maybe that's where you're at today. You're like, does he really care about my need? Absolutely. And he loves to enter in to desperate situations, into the desperate longing of your heart, and meet you where you're at. He wants to come into desperate places. And so this is a desperate place and a desperate woman and she approaches Jesus with desperation as well. So let's keep reading. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know yet, yet he could not be hidden. Jesus is continually just plagued with this popularity problem. Everybody is following him everywhere he goes. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. If you like to underline in your Bibles, underline that phrase because it's going to be stated again. This idea of falling down in desperation at the feet of Jesus is a picture of the right approach. The, the, the person who says, I got nothing. I just, I'm just throwing myself at your feet. I'm desperate. She throws herself down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Now, I said I was going to refer to another Syrophoenician woman who is also very, very desperate. If we go back into 1 Kings chapter 17, we'll hear of another woman who was a Syrophoenician woman, uh, uh, the widow of Zarephath is, her, is what she's referred to. Uh, she was kind of at her last day. She had... Uh, enough flour and oil for one more meal. And you might remember, if you know the story, that Elijah is brought uh, to this woman, and, and by God's power, Elijah is able to make sure the flour and the oil never don't run out. And she just keeps eating and eating and eating, and God provides in her desperate situation all that she needs to survive, and then her son dies, and Elijah raises him from the dead. And so there's this picture of desperation, and if you know that story, which probably by this time the people in Rome would be more, more familiar with the Old Testament stories, you would have connected the dots of, oh, this is like that woman. She's just as desperate as that woman. And look, what is she, what's, what's God going to do for her in her desperation? Now, here's the question I want to ask you. Have you ever been really desperate? I mean, really hopeless, hopelessly desperate. Like, God, if you don't come through, we've got no other options here. See, my observation about many of us is that we're not that desperate because Jesus is just one little God on the mantle of many other gods in our life, right? I got my work, I got my money, I got my relationships, I got my pedigree, I got my background, I got my education, I got my Jesus. And so it's like, you know, he, get, he gets it. Sometimes I go to him and sometimes I feel like I need to pray and sometimes I will go to church or gather with people to talk about Jesus. Yeah, yeah, he's one of them. But here's the deal. This woman doesn't have any other gods on the mantle. Every one of them have failed. Psalm 115 says that when we carve images with our own hands, uh, we'll find out that our gods have no feet, not real feet, have no hands, not real hands, they can't do anything, that they, they have really no ability to speak to our lives. They have no power. And then in verse eight in, in Psalm 115, it says, you become like your gods. The ones that you worship, you become like. And here's what I found, is that you want to just stop one and say, who are my gods? Just ask yourself where you find your sense of identity, where you find your sense of hope, and, and what do you look to to kind of make you who you are? You probably have a few of them on the mantle, I would bet. And, and what God wants to do is he wants to knock down the gods one after another until you become desperate. And then you go, I've only got one left. The one with hands, the one with feet, the one who can speak, the one who's alive, the one who has power, 
to overcome my brokenness and heal me, to overcome my sin and forgive me, to overcome my, my evil intent and make me a man with a new heart, a woman with a new heart, a, a, a new life, the one who can rise again from the dead and is alive and is in this room right now. To be our hope. And I, I want to have, first of all, one question in front of you. Are you desperate? Because I'll tell you, if you're not desperate, it's because you have a whole bunch of other gods at this point that you look to. And you think they're doing pretty well for you right now. And in a culture of affluence, it's easy to be deceived into an idea or a belief that we don't really need God except for a couple things. But can I just reveal to you again the reality? You're desperate. You're alive because God is sustaining your every breath. His mercies are new every morning. You woke up today because he kept your heart beating. You don't keep your heart beating. You ever stopped and thought about that? Like, keep going, keep going, keep going. No, you don't do that. It just keeps going because God is sustaining your life. You're desperate. You just don't know it. It's like, like Jonah said, pull back the carpeting. There's a whole bot, a lot of desperation underneath there. And many of us have been taught to put the layers of, 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 of our education, the layers of our, our money, the layers of our, our homes, the layers of our relationships, the layers of whatever it is you've put your trust in. We, we're so blessed in a lot of ways with so much affluence that we put our hope in so many other gods and it's almost like God is the last. Jesus is the last on the mantle of our desperation. When we finally lose it all, then we cry out. But can I just offer up for you today that you are not different than this woman at all. You just maybe don't know it. You don't know how desperate you are for Jesus. And if you don't, if you're, some of you are going like, no, 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 I know it. I know it. By the way, I, the people I've learned to trust a lot in life are the people who've lost a lot in life. The people I've learned to trust a lot in life are the people who've suffered a lot in life because I know that they have come to the realization of their desperation, which leads them to cry out to God in a way that no other person does until they find out they really, really need him. Do you know how desperate you are today? I asked Janie, I said, can you remember times when we've been desperate and, you know, and, and, and we were talking about a variety of different things, but in particular, I said, remember that one time, wasn't, didn't, we, didn't something happen with, with Maggie? And, and uh, we, we rehearsed the story again, and she said, yeah, I was, and I'm probably gonna not get it all right, but this is just recollection, recollection okay? But uh, uh, there were, Janie was doing something in the house, and I think the door got left open or something, and Janie assumed Janie, Maggie might have gone out the front door. And, you know, we live in Redmond now, so if that happens, it's like, all right, she can go play. But when you live in Tacoma and you can't see your kids, like, it's very likely someone took them. And I'm not kidding. Like, that happens around our neighborhood. And so the fear all of a sudden rises up. Moms, can you feel what that would feel like? You're screaming for your daughter, Maggie, where are you? Janie's looking for her and running around trying to find her. And, you know, at, at some point, there's a desperation. You ever felt the desperation that I'm talking about? In something. I, I, we found kids at Disneyland before whose parents somehow got separated from their kids. And when those parents find those kids, you, you can see desperation in their eyes. Think about that as we're talking about this woman whose daughter's got a demon. She's desperate. Nothing's worked. She needs help. And Janie... In that moment, and I've learned from Janie a lot on this, you guys heard her this fall speak well on prayer, and I was so blessed by that, but she often will say, I learned to take anxious thoughts and turn them into prayers. And so in that moment, she said, God, help. God, what, what do you want me to do? And what she heard, a little whisper, God often, God often does this. See, the, gods, the rest of the gods don't speak to you. They don't, they don't respond when you pray. Like whenever I hear people say, I'm sending you happy thoughts. I'm like, I don't want your happy thoughts. I need God's help. <laughs> right? Your happy thoughts don't do anything for me. I need God. I'm desperate. I don't want happy thoughts. I want the God who can move his hands, step with his feet, feet into my life, can speak truth into my heart, can teach me how to speak good grammar. <laughs> Those of you who caught the feet's piece. And so in that moment she heard, go in the basement. By the way, I want to encourage you, if you haven't learned to attune your voice, your, your ears to the voice of God, uh, learn how to listen to what he wants to say to you. Learn how to cry out in desperation. Uh, in fact, if you go, I don't, I don't even know how to listen to God, it's probably because you haven't become desperate yet. Can I just add one thing? Oh my goodness, I can't believe she's doing this. 
I knew it was going to happen. Yes, sure. She had been in the basement. She had been in the street. She had been in the alley. Five whole minutes had transpired. By the way, you're welcome to interact with me when I preach like this, okay? <laughs> Janie doesn't get to be the only one. You can do it too. I'm all right with that. Uh, so she is desperate. She'd already been to the basement, which is, by the way, is a really good picture for us, right? Some of us go, we try everything else but God. And none of it works, and we finally go, okay, I got, that's all I got left. In fact, what, if I could encourage you on one thing, let's get all the, man, all the idols off the mantle and just start with God from the very beginning. Don't let him be the last ditch. Let him be the beginning. Let him be the initial cry. And so she went downstairs, and there Maggie was playing hide-and-go-seek. And she thought it was funny. Some of your moms are going like, ooh. Don't you ever do that to me. <laughs> That's what this woman is feeling. She's, she's begging. God, help. She's on her knees. She's begging. Think of the posture that Mark is capturing here. Mark doesn't take a lot of time to give lots of detail like the Gospel of Luke, but when he does, you better pay attention to it. She's begging at his feet. I need help. I'm desperate. And what I've found is desperation leads to humility. Not only was she desperate, but she was humble. She approached God humbly. Verse 27, he said to her, Jesus said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Wow. Thank you very much, Mr. PC Jesus. Not so PC, right? I mean, it doesn't sound like, that sounds like the most offensive things Jesus has said so far. Like, you understand he's calling her a dog. What is he doing? Well, it, by the way, it is a parable. So let's figure out what he's saying. Uh, in their context, dog is a very negative expression in the ancient world. It's not like Seattle, you know, like where dogs are actually more valuable than humans. You know, like, like dogs don't even have to pay to go out to eat in our city. They just need to go to a store that has a, jar, a, a little uh, dish right in front of them with food and water for dogs. And then, and then they can poop anywhere they want and people will pick it up for them. I mean, like, like don't, so don't think Seattle, don't think of the east side when you think of dog because dogs are more valuable than humans in the Northwest. I know that. That's a problem, by the way, if that's what you believe. Um, but we can talk about that later. Um, so they aren't, they aren't valued there. In fact, they're a picture to the Israelites of uncleanliness because dogs ate garbage and dead carcasses. Uh, so these are street dogs, mongrels, that are out just finding stuff to eat. And so for a Jewish person, the word dog was commonly applied to Gentiles, in particular those who are ignorant, godless, and pagan, idolaters. So is this what Jesus thinks of this woman? Well, not entirely, because it's interesting that the word he uses for dog is not the same word for street mongrel type of dog. It's actually the dog that is the, the household pet. So maybe now start thinking a little bit more like Seattle, okay? But not so much, just kind of, a little bit, okay? A dog that, that you know, people are glad to have in the house, they want to take care of. Um, so in some ways, it empties the distaste that you might have. And in some ways, what is actually going on is Jesus is trying to empty the distaste that Jews might have towards Gentiles. He's trying to, in some ways, help them understand, especially his disciples who are watching all this, that like, you guys have misunderstood God's intent for the people of the world, that there are people out there that you've given a, a yourself permission to write off or to discard, and God doesn't do that. God, God wants to be a good news God through his good news people to the ends of the earth so everybody gets the good news of God's grace poured out into their life. And so here the term dog is the household pet that's to be cared for, but there is something that's important here that we don't miss, and that is there is a priority in the ministry of Jesus that he's first of all to come to the children. That's the Israelites, the people of God, the set-apart ones, the Jews, through whom all the nations on the earth were meant to be blessed. And so what Jesus is fundamentally saying is, I'm not here first for you. I'm here first for the Jews. That's my mission. And, and, you know, some of us might hear that, like, so you're here for the children, but not the dog. And you might go, well, do you know who I am? Do you understand 
where I come from? Do you understand that I, I'm a boss in a pretty significant company and I can tell people what to do? You don't treat me like that. You, you understand that like, like I, I was top in my class. I still am. Professors invite me in regularly, you know, to help do teacher assistant work in the classroom. Do you understand who I am? I was, I was an athlete and I, I lettered in every sport. You know, do you understand who I am? And we, we have this sense of entitlement that keeps us from desperate humility because we have this sense of we deserve better. Let me ask you, how would you respond if Jesus called you a dog? By the way, he does call you that. Because what the dog metaphor is, is it's a, it's a sign, it's, it signifies your, your unmerited standing, that you don't deserve the grace of God. That you don't, you don't have something you can point to, a pedigree, a, a religious behavior, a, a growing up in the church, a, 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 I pray this much, I, I give this much, I read the Bible this much, I've been a good person, I've done good deeds. Like the Bible says all of that in comparison to Christ's righteousness, which is the standard, is filthy rags. That's what the Bible says. It's, and, and I won't go into what that is, but that's really gross, by the way. Some of you know what, I'm, what the rag is in the Bible. It's the rag that we know of today. It's gross, okay? He's saying it doesn't measure up at all. In fact, if you think your own righteousness is in any way great to me, you need to understand, I look at it and I see it in comparison to Jesus' amazing, glorious, perfect life, and yours is nothing compared to his. Now, by the way, some of you are already going like, that's offensive to me. Then you're probably not desperate or humble yet. Because this woman, when she hears this, she doesn't go, what are you talking about, Jesus? You don't talk to me like that. By the way, I've learned to see entitlement all over the place. I fly quite a bit, and sometimes I get bumped up to first class because I fly so much. I'll tell you, man, sometimes I sit in first class, and, and I just see entitlement all over the place. It's like, do you understand? You're in the sky, in a plane, in a reclining seat with people giving you whatever you want to eat or drink or whatever movie you want to watch, and you're complaining. Entitled. Some of us are like, you know what? My, my data speed is not fast enough in my household. Like, my kids are watching. All, all five of them have an iPad. I'm trying to watch my movie. It's just not fast enough. It's slowing down, trying to play Xbox. You know, we can't stay online fast enough. Like, what is wrong with this world? I deserve better. Come on. You deserve death. Right? The wages of sin is death. Spiritual death, relational death, physical death, eternal death, separation from God forever. That's what we deserve. And you might go, what is sin? Sin is any failure to live up to the standard of righteousness that God has set forth in Jesus Christ in our thoughts, our motives, or our behaviors. Every one of us have failed. All of us have fallen short. And what we deserve is death. When I'm driving down the road in our Sienna van with a drop-down video player that you can put any stinking DV you want in for our kids to watch and they're in their climate-controlled zones that they can control the climate and we're driving down going like, oh, I don't like this and I want that. I'm like, I pull over, I go, guys, what do you deserve? And they say, death. And I go, we're alive. We're alive. God's mercy was new again to m this morning. We're not only desperate, we should be humbled. Humbled by the grace of God. We're not getting what we deserve. And this woman, she knows this. And that's why she responds to Jesus' parable like no one else. Everybody else is like, I don't get it. What do you mean by that? Some are offended by it. Others, the disciples, Jesus pull them aside and go, okay, let me tell you again what it means. But this woman gets it. What I've, I, well, I'll tell you, if you're going, I, I just don't get the word of God, it doesn't make sense to me. Are you desperate for God? Are you humble before God? You say, oh, I need you. I'm on my knees before you, God, I need help. And I, I, I'm not deserving, I know I'm not. I know what I deserve, I deserve death. I, I have not honored you with my heart. I have not honored you with my thoughts. I have not honored you with my behaviors. I know what I deserve but you don't treat me like I deserve. You're so gracious to me. You're so kind to me. You're so merciful to me. You're giving me another day to live. 
I'll tell you what, that posture, the Bible says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You, you wanted God to speak into your life? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due time, he will lift you up. Wait on him in desperate longing for him. Help me, God. And this is where that woman's at, and that's why you see her response isn't, don't you talk to me like that. Don't call me a dog. Listen to what she says. She answered him, verse 28, yes, Lord. (laughs) In other words, I know I'm a dog. Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. What is she saying? Once she gets Jesus' parable, because Jesus is basically saying, I came here first for the children of Israel, and then the Gentiles will also receive as well. Like, I, this isn't, I'm not keeping it from you, but there's, a, there's an order here. This is God's plan. But what's even greater, she doesn't, just, she doesn't just hear it and understand it. She actually answers Jesus back inside of his own teaching. Do you want to know what you're desperate and humble and you're beginning to get the truths of God? you actually speak back to God in light of his truths. You actually speak in line with the word of God. The teaching starts to grip your heart so that you speak in light of the word of God. You start speaking in light of what he's saying to you. You let his words inform you so much that when you speak back to him, it's in light of what he's saying through his word, not just what you think. And so what does she say? And it's interesting because her response is she engages right with him in the parable. And in a sense, she continues the parable. It's a beautiful picture of what happens when God speaks to us and how then God speaks through us. But don't miss this, because you wouldn't maybe see this uh, if you didn't know some of the language here. The Greek word that Jesus uses is the word technon for biological children. The woman in her response uses the word pation, which is the more understanding of inclusive household. So Jesus is speaking very, very specifically to the children of Israel. And she's saying, yeah, but everybody in the household, including even the servants, get to be blessed. They even get to eat the crumbs. And what is she understanding? She's understanding that God's intent has always been not just for Israel, but that others will be brought into the household as well. And they'll know that they weren't the first, so they'll always continue to be humble, going like, we, we know we don't deserve to be here. We know it's the gift of God. We know it's all grace that we belong to God's family, but that, that's the place we want to stay. We just love that the crumbs fall off the table. We'll take everything we can get. By the way, can I just confront something here? I'm convinced that most Americans who are Christians think that we belong to a Christian nation and somehow we were the promised land and we are entitled in this country. And I'm telling you, that's arrogance. It is a gift that we get to have the freedom just to worship the God we worship, but to expect everybody else to worship the God we worship when they don't know him, that's ridiculous. And I think some of us think this is the promised land. Wrong! God came to the Jews. We are blessed as Gentiles to be brought in, grafted into the family of God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, who is a Jew. Don't miss it. He's the true and better Israel through whom we get to be grafted into the very family of God. That should humble you because you can't say, well, it's because of my upbringing. It's because of my bloodline. No. And yes, because now your bloodline is Jesus if you've been born into the family of God. Amen. So she, she gets it and she changes the, the language even. Like, I know you said children, but I, we're, we're the household. Even the household, even the children in this household, they they understand it's not just for them, it's for others as well. And then another thing to pay attention to is the word that Mark uses for when the children are fed is actually, another way to say it is, when they've eaten all that they want, there's still crumbs left over for the dogs. Now, if you've been with us so long uh, through this series, that should take you right back to the feeding of the 5,000. Remember, they ate all they wanted, and then there were 12 baskets still remaining Plenty to give to anybody else who was in need. And, and that, that 12 baskets, as you remember, was a picture of the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes that were so full of the abundance of God's grace that they had more to spare so the nations could get all that they needed as well. That's what's going on here. She's going, you know, I know, I know when the children get all that they want, there's still plenty left over. By the way, don't miss this. There's something going on that we need to hear really importantly today, and that is that God intends that when he gives grace to people, he never gives them just what they need. 
He gives them an abundance, more than they need, so that they have plenty left over to give to others as well. That's how he works. He, he pours grace into your life in such a way that the crumbs of grace fall off the table for others to, re, to participate in. That's how he, do, he, it's how he works. And, and this woman, in a sense, is saying, I know I'm not a Jew. I know you didn't come for us first. However, I know that you are rich, Jesus. You have plenty to give, not just to the Jews, but to all of us as well. And what you give to the Jews is supposed to spill to us. So I'm just sitting underneath the table waiting for the crumbs of grace to fall. And I'll take every one of them because just one crumb of grace, one crumb of grace is enough to actually satisfy the deepest longings of my heart. Here's the thing I'll, I'll tell you. You just get a little bit of Jesus and you got all you need. Now I want all of Jesus, but I'll tell you what, any little bit I've gotten has been so satisfying to my heart. It's like, oh, more. In fact, this is how I know someone knows Jesus. They want more of him. And if they don't know him, they're just satisfied to just talk about him. They're satisfied just to know truths about him. But when you really get to taste him, when you get the crumbs that fall off the table of grace, and you get to feast on, on the reality of the grace of God in Jesus Christ, you go, yeah, I'll take every crumb I can find. More Jesus. More of his grace. And this woman is speaking in such a way that tells you she understands God's call to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 when God says, Abraham, I will make your name great. I will make you uh, a nation that's so big that we can't even count it like the stars in the sky and the, the the sand on the seashore, and I will do this so that I will bless you so that through you all the nations will be blessed. And what she's actually doing is she's speaking in line with God's word, which we'll come back to in just a minute. But the thing I want us to hear about family, uh, just as, as a moment, I just want you to stop and think about this. If you're in a missional community, you, you know the grace of God, please, 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 share the crumbs. It wasn't just for you. The gospel isn't just for you. The good news of Jesus isn't just for you. The grace he's poured into your life is just not for you. It's not only yours. It's, it's meant to be given. And it's meant to be shared. It's meant to be spilled over. Ask yourself, is, is, is the grace and the love and the abundance of Christ spilling over out of my life into the lives of everyone else around me? That's what he wants for you. That's what he's always wanted for his people. Israel was the, was the paradigm setter of what it meant to be. Of course, they failed, and Jesus now shows up as the true and better Israel. In fact, in this moment, the woman's going, Jesus, you're a better Israelite than anyone else. You get this, and I'm just gonna call you to, to fulfill what I know Israel is supposed to do. That's what she's doing. And I love this about Jesus, because he doesn't push back. And in a sense, he lets her spar with him. I do want to come back to that idea in a moment, but let me say this. Jesus will never turn anyone away who's desperately humble. Dwight Moody is reported as have say, have, having said that Jesus sent no one away except, no, he, I'm sorry, Jesus sent no one away empty except for those who were full of themselves. Jesus sent no one away empty except those who were full of themselves. Regularly, I, I'm asking the Lord, will you show me the idols on the mantle that need to be toppled over? Will you show me the food that I've been feasting on as a replacement of you? Will you show me the ways in which I become full of myself so I have no room for you? Show me how I fooled myself to pretend like I'm not desperate. In, in the east side, if I could just say this to us family, there are lots of ways to be fooled to be deceived, to be lied to about your true desperation. We can be so easily distracted away from the real longing of our heart because we try to satisfy it with empty things that never really satisfy, but we keep trying so much that we don't slow down and realize nothing has really satisfied yet. And we still are hungry desperately for Jesus. So where are you at? Desperate, humble, and what I love about this is when you become desperate and humble, you become bold. This woman is bold. I mean, this is a picture of, like, if you, some of you know the story of Jacob, when Jacob wrestled with God and he overcame and he was given a new name, Israel, one who wrestled with God and overcame. This, this woman is, like, sparring with Jesus. This is like a UFC match right now, you know? She and Jesus are going to the mat. And I love it because God, God's not offended by you coming back at him with his word, by the way. 
Moses, remember? God, you can't destroy them. You said that you were, these are your people. Your word said something. I'm holding you to your word. You know, the times, the number of times the psalmist called God to his word, it's not like God's forgotten. It's not like God is unfaithful to his word. He wants you to have as much confidence in his word as anything else. He wants you to be able to pray his word to him. God, you said you'd be near to the brokenhearted. I'm brokenhearted. Desperation, humility, boldness. God, be near to me. You see what I'm talking about? God, God, you said that, you know, a bruised reed, you will not break. I'm bruised. I'm hurting. I'm in pain. I need you. Be true to your word. Don't break me. God, you you said through Jesus that you're a good father. When a son asks for a a fish, he doesn't give him a snake. Or asks for bread, he doesn't give him a rock. You give good gifts to your children. I'm your child. I need good gifts. I need help. Humility desperation, boldness. Do you see it? When I'm desperate, I'm humble. When I'm humble, I'm bold. Because where else am I going to go? And this woman is a great picture of what you do when you're desperate and you're humble and you're bold. You, 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 you pray the word of God to God. You remind God of the truths that you believe. Jesus said, if you pray anything in accordance with my will, it will be given to you. How do we know the will of God? The word of God. Know the word of God. I'm I'm amazed how many times I hear people go, yeah, you know, God has always said, and they'd say something like some pithy, crazy, worldly statement. I'm like, where did he say that? I don't know. I heard someone say it once. You know, it was like a Twitter thing that was really cool, and I put it on my board, and like, he didn't say that. You know, God always said, God helps those who help themselves. Really? I thought he said God helps those who can't help themselves. And then admit it. Right? Like, it's like some of us are praying prayers that aren't even informed by the word of God. And the reason why we're not desperate and humble and bold is because we're speaking out of a sense of self-confidence and worldly ideas. And what we're saying to God has nothing to do with what God's even like. And this woman, she's a Gentile pagan, and, and she gets God better than most of the religious leaders around Jesus. I love it. Which, by the way, can I just give you this good hope? You don't have to be the spiritually elite, the well-educated, the, the, the person who grew up in the church to actually have this. You just need to be desperate. You just need to be desperately humble. And in your desperate humility, go, God, I just need help. And then as we grow and knowing the word of God by gathering together and speaking the word of God to one another as we open it up and, and publicly read it, you start to go, okay, that's what God's like and that's what God's like. I'm gonna take him at his word. And then I'm gonna go back to him. Like, I just don't see it. Like, what is, your word says this. I want, I want that to be true. Can I pray this to you? Can I seek you with this? Can I beg you to be faithful to what you said? And some of us are afraid to do that because we're like, man, that seems like, that seems like a lot to do to God. I mean, he's God. Read the Psalms over and over and over again. God's not, by the way, offended by your honesty. He already knows what's going on in your heart. He's not intimidated by your questions. He's not overwhelmed by your request. He's God. He can handle it. I'll tell you what, people get humble, get desperately humble and speak boldly when they face the reality of their own impending death. I was with a man this last week who I met many, many years ago in Tacoma. He, text, he sent me an email and said, I just found out I'm stage four cancer, 11 months to live. Most recent doctor said five. I just wonder if we could meet. I know Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but I just got some questions and he had been not engaging in community with any believers for quite a long time. And so I went, sat with them Friday. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing like sitting with a dying man. By the way, can I just be clear? Every one of you are dying, dying men and women. Today, you could, your life could end. You know, no one has a guarantee that your life's going to last longer than this moment. Whenever I'm helping someone make a decision, I'll, I'll, like they're going, I don't know what to do. I, I'll ask them, if Jesus were to, ret- were to return tomorrow, what would you do? Or if you were to die today, if God were to ask of you to t- come home, what would you do? I'll tell you what, that changes your perspective real quickly. And that's where this man was at. And we sat and he told me about his life and he, his relationship with Jesus. And as, at the end, he said, you know, Jeff, I, I want my wife to know Jesus. She doesn't know Jesus. I want to do, why have I not taken this seriously? Because he wasn't desperate. 
And then he went on to say, and I can't be alone anymore. I've got to be in Christian community. I need brothers and sisters to keep reminding me of the truths of God's word. You won't be humble, desperate, and bold unless you're around a community that will keep reminding you why you are humble, why you are desperate, and why you need to boldly proclaim God's word. He said, I need help getting there. I said, I'll help you. He said, today. <laughs> I mean, he was like, he's desperate. And then this is what he said. He said, and I don't want to leave my life without, without a legacy about Jesus. I want my life to be a reminder that it's never too late to come back to Jesus Christ. And we just wept together and celebrated. He said, you know what, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. Because I got so much to hope in. But I don't want to waste the little bit of time I've got. See, when you face desperation, you're humbled. But you will be bold because it will change your perspective on life. And Jesus says to her, in light of her response, in light of her wrestling with God, I love this. Can I just give you permission? Jesus, and what he's about to say is saying, it's okay to do what you just did. It's okay to engage me with my word. It's okay to push back in light of my word and what you know the word of God says. Bring it. Wrestle like Jacob. He says, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. He doesn't even have to show up. He's taken care of. And then Mark goes on to show us some people can't get to Jesus. Some people can't talk to Jesus. Some people can't even hear Jesus. And yet there are desperate people who care enough about those people to bring them to Jesus. Listen, verse 31. He returned from the region of Tyre, went through the Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. Notice again the language. They begged him. First it's the woman begging on behalf of her daughter. Now it's a, a group of people, we don't really know quite who they are, begging on behalf of this guy. If you want to underline it again, that, that language of begging. If you want to know the posture that you should approach God, it's this. God, help me. I don't mean you have to get on your knees and hold your hands up, but that might help you, <laughs> right? Might help to remind you the posture of humility and desperation that boldly calls out to God because I'll tell you what, when I'm on my knees and I'm desperate, I am humble because I got nowhere else to go. And when I got nowhere else to go, I am very bold in my request because I know I pray to a God of grace who sits on a throne of grace who wants to approach that throne as the king of all things and say, you can ask me for whatever you need because I love to give good gifts to those who are in need. I love to respond to humility, acknowledging I'm God and you're not. I love to hear your request and give you the very thing you don't even know you need. Sometimes you're going to ask for something, I'm going to give you something different because I know what you need, but I love it when you come to me because you actually believe I'm gracious. You believe that I don't, you don't have to prepare. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to have all these lofty prayers to convince me you're serious. You just got to be desperate and humble enough to get on your knees before me and say, help me, God. That's what he's asking for. And so these people... They know this man can't even do it. He can't even hear. He can't hear the message. He can't even speak. Help! So what do they do? They bring him. They're desperate. You know, maybe there's somebody here today It's like, you're here because somebody else is desperate for you. Someone else has been praying for you. Someone else has been begging God for your salvation. Someone else has been begging that you would finally hear God speak into your heart, that you'd finally see how good Jesus is. And, and they're begging God. They're on their knees for you. They love you enough to pray for you, to bring you to Jesus, to bring you to God through prayer. And you're here. Some of you are going like, yeah, my friend invited me. I don't really like church, but they convinced me and I just did a favor. They're begging God for you. I'm begging God for you. I regularly, this morning again, I just said, God, would you please unstop the ears that can't hear? Would you open the eyes that can't see? Would you loose the tongue so they'll praise you? I can't do that, but I can beg that you would. I'm desperate, see? See, I'm desperate. I, 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 I can't even preach good enough to have any of you get this. I know I can't. The Spirit of God has to do this. So I'm begging God. I'm bringing you to God right now. I pray. By God's grace, the crumbs pour out. They fall from the table. 
And Jesus takes him aside from the crowd privately, puts his fingers into his ears, after spitting, touched his tongue. By the way, what he's doing here is probably there's some sign language going on because he just wants to, he wants to meet the man where he can and speak to him in a way he'll get it and understand it. I don't know quite about the spit thing, just so you know. Some commentators say that that, that was actually a thing that they did in that region to say, hey, I'm about to heal you, so here we go. But I don't know. I mean, I, I read that, I'm like, God, it doesn't convince me. So, so I'm still a mystery about that one, just so you guys know. And, and here's, here's where I landed. Half the stuff that God does to me, I don't get. Right? And I want to sit in that place where I'm like, explain it to me. Why did you do it that way? And why, why are there earthquakes going on in Japan right now? Why? God, I don't get it. You can stop that. Why? Why are people suffering in Japan? And hour after hour after hour after hour, magnitude, huge magnitude earthquakes are going on. And we're going like, why, God? And I go, I don't get it. I don't get it. Why do you spit on the ground? I don't get it. It's because I'm desperate, right? Because I'm humble. I don't know the mind of God. I cannot be his counselor. I, I, I couldn't tell him how to run the world because I'm, I'm an idiot compared to God. So I'll just be okay being an idiot and not getting everything. And that's part of our humble desperation. It's like, I don't have to get it all, but I do get that I need to get him. I need his help. And so Jesus takes him away privately. It seems like he probably needs some space. He's using his hands to communicate. He's touching him so he can feel what's going on. And then he says, Epatha, be open. And, and the man is healed. And I love it because Jesus is the wonderful counselor, the Bible says. He knows exactly what you need and he knows how you need it. And he knows how to bring it to you in a way that uniquely you need by God. And some of you are going like, no, he doesn't. I don't like the way he's doing it. Well, he's not wrong. You are. Okay, let's just be clear. He, he is the wonderful counselor. He, he knows exactly what he's doing with you. And there may be some of you that are very much like this man and going, I just don't have the ability to even speak it out loud. And what I love about Jesus is Jesus becomes the man's hands, the man's feet, the man's lips, the man's life in this moment. He takes what the man can't do and he does it for him. You might ask, well, why does Jesus, because it says in there he sighed, but the word could also be he groaned. Why does he groan? Why does Jesus groan? It says, when he said this, be open. His ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly, and Jesus charged him to tell no one. But before he did it, it says that he sighed. He looked up to heaven and he sighed. And then he said, epatha. What, what's going on? Why is he groaning? That word side really means groan. Why is he doing that? And you, you have to actually go back to Isaiah 35 to get an understanding of this. Verse 3. Strengthen. This is speaking of Jesus, what he's going to come and do. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Strengthen. Listen to that. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart. This is some of you in the room. Say to those who have an anxious heart. This is what God's saying to you. Be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, and then the lame man will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Mark wants us to know God has come into this man's life. This man's eyes, ears are open, his tongue is released, and he's speaking, and he's gonna go, and he's gonna praise God. The fulfillment of this prophecy is going on. So why is Jesus groaning? Why is he groaning if he knows the fulfillment is taking place? Because he knows what it's costing him. He knows what it's gonna require because move a few more chapters into Isaiah in chapter 53, and we find out he doesn't just come to heal. He comes to die. And Jesus is groaning, because when I read that, I'm like, wait a minute, it says he came to bring vengeance, but Jesus isn't bringing vengeance right now? What's going on? The reason why he's not coming to bring vengeance is because he's gonna bear the vengeance of God on himself. He knows when he's groaning, he's saying, I, in order for this man to speak, I'm gonna have to shut my mouth on the cross and start crying out that they're the sinners. I'm gonna cry out that they're to be forgiven because I took their sin on myself. I'll close my mouth so they can open theirs and praise God one day. 
I know that I'm going to have to, in some ways, close my ears to all the accusations, all the horrible things that are said about me at the cross. I'm just to keep reminding myself, I'm doing this because I love my Father. I'm doing this because I love these people. I will die for them willingly, closing my ears to all the lies and the accusations that are going to come at me so that I can make it through. I'm groaning because I know what I'm going to have to go through for these people to finally see God, hear God, praise God, love God. I know what it's going to cost me. Jesus is groaning because he's looking forward to the cost for the Gentiles to come in and be a part of the family of God. I'll tell you what, if I ever want to be humbled, all I got to do is look to the cross. I just get down and say, I'm in such desperate need of you, God. I got no way to deal with my sin. There's no way I could ever, ever live the perfect life to somehow merit your grace and your forgiveness and your love. I got nothing. This is it. This is all I've got. You, Jesus. Your cross. It's all I've got. I'm desperate. And I'm humble. And I will boldly cry out, Jesus, save me. Help me. Family, I, I just know that if you get that, then all the grace that pours into your life, you're like, I gotta give it away. I gotta be bold. I wanna tell everybody I'm so desperately in need of Jesus, and so are you. And I wanna just share it. I want the crumbs of the grace of God to overflow out of my life, out of my mouth, out of my actions, out of my everyday activity, so that the world can see that God has come to save, that God has come to love, that God has come to forgive in the person and work of Jesus. Isn't it good news? It's really good news. Thank you, God, for the grace that actually enables me to be that desperate, that humble, and that bold. That's how you approach God. Some of you are wondering, how do I approach God today? Desperate humility that leads you to boldly cry out for God's help. Let's do that. Father, I know that nothing I say is gonna ultimately change the heart apart from you doing a work. I know that nothing we do will ever change the heart apart from you doing a work. And so we're just as desperate about this message and as humble in our neediness for it to get to the hearts of people as this woman is, as this man was. And yet, we're holding you to your word, God. You have promised that when we preach the truth of Jesus Christ and his glorious grace and your amazing love for us, that you will turn the hearts of people from rocks, from stone, from hardness, to flesh, to life, to soft, loving hearts. So God, do that today. We don't take this for granted. We know we're not deserving of it. It's all your grace, and we receive that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for the Unexpected Jesus series as we walk through the book of Mark at Doxa Church. Doxa Church exists to equip people to live for Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. For more information, go to doxa-church.com.